baseball fans, welcome to Sully Baseball. This is the podcast where we talk about baseball. Well, we're supposed to talk about baseball 52 weeks out of the year, and there's supposed to not be an offseason. And I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this from Sully Baseball Studio. I'm a little... I'm a little rusty, so forgive me. Uh, from Sully Baseball Studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager Bob Melvin, and just a line drive from Sunken Diamond, the baseball home of the Stanford Cardinal. Um, this is my first podcast in a while. It's I've haven't done one since I posted one on the 22nd of June, and I kind of abruptly tweeted out that I don't see me doing any more Sully Baseball podcasts for the foreseeable future and I meant that when I typed that um I'll get into a little bit you know because you subscribe to the solid baseball podcast for a respite of real life and and I am gonna try to offer a little bit of that not just a respite for you listening but also for me um yeah, some some stuff has happened in your pal Sully's life that made it very difficult to find the time, not just the physical time, but you know the the emotional time to do a podcast about baseball. Um, and I felt that I needed to take a few steps back. And as I took those few steps back, I realized, you know what? It may actually be productive to do this in a way. I'll get into that in a little bit. But um, it's the All-Star break. The All-Star break is there. And uh, the good news for me is Stephen Wright's hurt, so I'm back to following the Red Sox again. Uh, The Red Sox are the best team in baseball by uh, the metrics of win-losses and winning percentage. The best team in baseball in terms of run differential would be the Astros. But I went into this season saying, do you know what? I want the Red Sox to win 96 games. That's what I said. I want them to win 96 games. And they need to win 28 more games to reach that goal. You know, 28 more games. Now, how many games are there left? 162 games a year. Um, You know, there's 64 games. If they play 500 ball the rest of the way... Just 500 ball. They're going to win 100 games. Now, I I still look at this team as vulnerable in a short series. Uh, I think head-to-head, I would put my money on on the Yankees over the the Red Sox. Um, But I still still think the Houston Astros are going to win the American League pennant. Uh, But, you know, I can't, you know... I've never seen a Red Sox team win 100 games, and this team has an outstanding chance of doing it. So your pal Sully's pretty happy. I'll tell you the weirdest thing in the American League, because we're in the All-Star breakdown. Now, it's not... I think it's weird, though. The All-Star game should be a lot closer to the middle of the season than we have now. I mean, we have teams that are are have around 99, 100 games already in the bank. I mean, there's only about 60-some-odd games left. And the All-Star game should have a feeling of being the halfway point of the season. And it's not. We are, we are well beyond the halfway point of the season. And the only real suspense going on, there's, there's only two elements of suspense going on in the American League playoffs. Will the Red Sox or Yankees win their division? 
and that has weight this year because the winner, you know, the winner will have home field advantage throughout, you know, it looks like throughout the playoffs, and the other will have to play a one-and-done game. Now, chances are the Yankees or the Red Sox could win a one-and-done game in the wild card, but a lot can happen. It's just one game. You know, it, anything can happen in just one game. And a team, you know, the Yankees are easily going to win 100 games as well. And the fact that you can win 100 games and be out one and done is, it may not be fair, but you got to do it. The other bit of suspense is, will the Mariners win the second wildcard game, or wildcard spot, and have their first postseason both since 2001? Or will it be the Oakland A's? You know, when you take a look at who's the closest there, I mean, Tampa and the Angels are both over 500, but they're, they're you know, right now they're hovering like eight or nine games out of that, that wildcard spot. The A's are only three back of the Mariners. The A's, who I bet you can't name unless you are a big-time Oakland A's fan, and there are the, my share of A's fans who are listening. And I catch a bunch of A's games since I'm up here in the Bay Area now, um, but not as many as I did when friend of the podcast, Sean Doolittle, was on. But the A's are coming on strong. You know, they have a winning record. They're 12 games above 500, and we are, you know, this is not early in the season. The A's look like a winning team. And the Mariners have been a team that has been playing over 600 ball, playing unbelievably well after the suspension of Robinson Cano. They also have a negative run differential for the season. Now, I don't put all the stock of the world in run differential, but I also think the Mariners have been playing a little bit over their heads. They've been playing a little bananas. And they're the type of team that could very well come crashing back to earth. And we could very well see a situation where the Yankees play the A's in a wild game, or the Red Sox play the A's. The A's are the kind of team that could sneak up on you, and the Mariners are the type of team that have been winning a lot of games and playing above their head and everything, but look at them right now. They're on a four-game losing streak right now. They've lost seven of their last ten games right now. Now, in the end, that may not matter. The Yankees or the Red Sox could clobber whoever the hell it is, and no one will ever remember who the second wildcard team is. No one remembers, unless you're a fan of that team. Nobody remembers the poor schmuck team that loses the wildcard game. Does anyone remember the Twins and the Rockies last year? And boy, oh boy, you know, facing the Red Sox or the Yankees in a wildcard game could be a one-way ticket to Clobbersville, but it also could be it's just one goddamn game. Sorry, Ray, but Ray, I haven't apologized to you in a while, so you're going to have to deal with the fact that I'm going to drop a couple of GD bombs. I've had a goddamn hard couple of months. So sorry, Ray. It's a weird thing to have suspense about. You know, who's going to be the second wildcard team? And who is going to, you know, who are the two wildcard participants? Now, of course, it is insane that of all the American League teams that look like are a lock to go to the postseason, the Indians are the team with the worst record. But they have, they'll have an automatic bid because of the divisions. I, I do believe we have to just get rid of the whole divisions because 
the best situation is to make sure that the Red Sox, Yankees, and Astros all have an automatic bid. And then you have it to, to automatic spot in the division series. And then you have either the Indians, the A's, or the Mariners battle for that last spot. That makes the most sense. That will provide the best level of baseball. That way you would have, you know, whoever wins the AL East facing either the Indians or the Mariners or the A's, and then you would have the other team from the American League East play the Astros. It's all good baseball. It's why I'm a little worried, you know, if... if you know, I'm a Red Sox fan. I obviously want to see them win. Uh, the Yankees, Red Sox, and Astros are all probably going to win 100 games. And I'm looking at that Indians team and said, you're going to win the pennant, aren't you? This is going to be like when the Mets won the pennant, when the three best teams were the Pirates, Cubs, and St. Louis Cardinals. They're going to do it, aren't they? They're going to sneak in there. They'll, they'll, take, they'll, they'll win the two Kluber starts, steal one game in Cleveland, and then catch a, an absolutely exhausted either Boston or New York team, and next year we have another Cleveland World Series. I think that may happen. Uh, and, of course, the National League is, is complete and utter chaos. The two leagues have flipped from last year. Um, you know, the Cubs got off to kind of a stumbling and bumbling start, and right now... They have the best record in the National League. And boy, think about this, Fox and MLB, two people who have no idea how to promote a World Series if it doesn't involve a big market team. If the two teams that are going into the All-Star break with the best records in their respective leagues in terms of winning percentage, the best record in their respective leagues, if those two teams are indeed the teams that go to the World Series. How happy would Fox be to see a World Series between the Red Sox and the Cubs? Because the Red Sox have the best record in the American League and the Cubs have the best record in the National League. Now, of course, it wouldn't have the drama that it would have had in 2003 where it would have been two cursed teams and something's got to give, but it would be a reflection, a Red Sox-Cubs World Series in 2018. 18, what the hell year is it? 2018 would be a reflection of how baseball reality would have changed. Because we're getting close to wrapping up this decade. And unless the Yankees win the pennant this year, next year, or if you're one of those idiots who would call 2020 part of this decade, fine, throw that in. If the Yankees don't win one of these three uh, uh, pennants, then this will be the first decade since Babe Ruth joined the Yankees, they didn't see the Yankees at least play in one World Series. They didn't win in the 80s, but they played in the 81 World Series. And how weird is this? That you would have the Cubs and the Red Sox going for their second World Series title of the decade. Multiple winners. It's weird. It's weird how baseball is unfolding because for much of this season, the Milwaukee Brewers have had the best record in the National League, but they've gone on a colossal losing streak. They went to Pittsburgh and lost five games. They played five games in Pittsburgh and lost all of them. And and a couple of them were come from behind victories by the Pirates. 
I mean, have you noticed the Pirates are only one game under 500 at this point? In the middle of a rebuilding year? The weird thing about the National League is there's no one great team. The Cubs, with a 591 winning percentage, has the best record. There's one, two, there, there are three teams with a 600 winning percentage in the American League. The Mariners would have the best record in the National League right now. So there's no overwhelmingly great team in the National League, and there's no overwhelmingly bad team. Remember how the Marlins were supposed to be so bad they weren't even, that wasn't even a major league team? They're not the worst team in the National League. They're not the second worst team in the National League. With a their huge losing streak to, to the Cubs that the Padres had recently, the Padres are the worst team in the National League, and the Mets are now behind the freaking Marlins. How about that for humiliation? Now, the other thing that happened the other day is something that I've been calling for for a while. Um, I, I can't believe it took this long t- for the Cardinals to dismiss Mike Matheny. But the Cardinals dismissed Mike Matheny. And Mike Matheny, of course, uh, is the manager. He inherited a World Series winner. And for a while, it just looked like he was going to pull a George Seifert and just take a, an established team and just keep it going. They they went to the seventh game of the NLCS's first year. They went to the World Series his second year. They went back to the NLCS in 2014. He did some questionable moves, uh, especially in regards to the end of the series of the Giants in 2014. Um, and it all it all changed. You can point to the entire run of Mike Matheny and the St. Louis Cardinals being the class of the National League. It all changed after game one of the division series in 2015. Now that year, the three best teams in the in baseball were St. Louis, Pittsburgh, and Chicago, the Chicago Cubs. And the Cubs beat the Pirates in the wildcard game because they had Jake Arrieta, who was unbelievable that year. Uh, I to I will go to my grave, and believe me, I hope this is what I'm saying, as they're about to go to my grave, to say that if the Pirates won that wild card game against the Chicago Cubs, the Pirates would have won the pennant. I think at that point, the Pirates were the best team playing the best baseball, and I think they would have beaten St. Louis, they would have beaten Los Angeles or New York, and they would have gone to the World Series. Do I know if they would have won the World Series against Kansas City? That I don't know, and neither do you. But they faced Jake Arrieta, who was unbelievable that year, and ended their season. Instead of going to the World Series, they were one and done. Cardinals won game one of St. Louis versus Chicago. The Cardinals were a 100-win team. Cardinals had the best record in baseball. The Cubs were putting together a damn good team. They had like 97, 98 wins. They were a damn good team themselves. But the Cardinals looked better, and they won game one. And again, St. Louis had that on Chicago. And what happened after that is the Cubs won the next three games and went on to the NLCS. Now, the Cubs didn't win that year. You know, they lost to the Mets. But at that moment, the Cubs passed the Cardinals in that series. And after that, the Cardinals have gone from the gold standard of the National League between you know, all those years they're in the playoffs and the World Series, winning two unlikely, you know, years where they were counted out, 
putting together great teams, always replenishing their stars, being able to make smart decisions like not sign Pujols to a 10-year deal, always look really good to now they're, they're an afterthought. They're an afterthought. They are barely above 500. And they're, does anyone think of them as a pennant contender? And think about the National League I just described. The National League I just described where there's no great teams and no really bad teams. That everyone's bunched in the middle. And St. Louis, St. Louis can't put together a winning club or put together a championship caliber club under these circumstances. And Matheny is seems like he's lost the team for a couple of years. And hearing about like hazing and and Dex, the thing going on with Dexter Fowl, all this shit going on in the clubhouse. It's like, oh, they've gone from being a write him in pen to being in the National League Championship Series to maybe they'll be a wild card contender to eh, they're a mess. He inherited a great team and a great organization, and now look where they are. I was calling for him to be fired last year. Now, when LaRussa left after winning the 2011 World Series at St. Louis, I thought the candidate to become the new manager of the Cardinals was an absolute no-brainer. You know, it made all the sense in the world to bring in Jose Okendo. Jose Okendo was a player on the Cardinals when they went to the World Series, certainly in 1987, his home run in the NLCS against the San Francisco Giants broke the Giants back. Uh, he was a in the team as a as a player until the you know into the 90s and he was a minor league manager in their system joined the from 1999 to now this whole century for nearly quarter of a nearly a quarter of a century he has been in some capacity as a minor league manager coach or one year he's in the front office now he's back to being the coach his connections to Whitey Herzog, his connection to Albert Pujols, Ozzie Smith, uh, Tony La Russa, Chris Carpenter, you name it. And he keeps getting passed over. They brought in Matheny to be the manager. I thought it was a mistake, and guess what it turned out to be? I absolutely believe that if you gave Jose Okendo the car keys of the 2011 uh, of the 2012 Cardinals coming off of winning the World Series in 2011. Yes, they lost Pujols. They brought in Beltran. They filled in some holes. I guarantee you Okendo would have done exactly as well if not better than Matheny coming off of the momentum of that championship. And I don't know if the clubhouse would have been as fractured as it is under the final you know, month and a half or whatever of Mike Matheny. I thought it was a mistake not to hire Okendo, and it turned out to be true. So what do they do? They hired Mike Schlitt, or Slit or whatever his name is, a baseball lifer, someone who worked his way up. It's not like he's the, the owner's son. But again, you have a guy who is a cardinal institution, even if it's just for the interim manager title. Hand the car keys to him. Even if you want to get a full, a, a longer-term solution, at least have him on the roll of Cardinal managers because he's earned it. I mean, does he have, you know, why won't anyone, 
I, I don't want to play the race card here, but it kind of sits there like, well, that may be a factor. I don't want to just throw that out there without evidence, but it's like, what he, what does he have to do? What does he have to add to his resume to even get the car keys to be the interim manager of the team? I don't know. Uh, I think the solution, and I talked about this in a prior podcast, and I talked about this with Jason Keidel of WFAN, um, the solution to me is easy right now. Whoever you put in there, whoever you gets to write their name as a St. Louis Cardinal manager along with the, the late, great Red Shandies and Tony La Russa and Whitey Herzog and, and, and everyone else, what they should do and what I, I can't imagine they won't do is bring in Joe Girardi. He's there. He's available. It's a great franchise. You hand him this team. Girardi has shown he's a solid manager. And you bring him in, and you kind of whisper in his ear, Hey, Joe, you won a World Series with the Yankees. You won a manager of the year your one year in Miami. Come here. If you win in St. Louis, you will be one of three managers to win a World Series title in both leagues. That would be Sparky Anderson, who did it with the Cincinnati Reds and Detroit Tigers. That'd be Tony La Russa, who did it with the Oakland A's and St. Louis Cardinals. And that would be you doing it with the Yankees and the Cardinals. That is a ticket to a little place we like to call the Hall of Fame. Now, how would you like to be a Hall of Fame manager, Mr. Joe Girardi? I think they would be bananas not to offer him that. I think Girardi would be bananas not to take it. And he'll already win over the the fan base because his name is not Mike Matheny. He'll have a tremendous honeymoon. And even if they don't win this year, you would lay down the foundation of Joe Girardi running the Cardinals. That makes sense to me. That makes all the sense in the world to me. He's the guy they should bring in. Should be Girardi's team. And I, I... you know, I would have wished they had given Okendo the chance even to be the interim manager. Just so he could say he at least managed. He got to that point with the Cardinals because he's earned it. And maybe make him the manager. Maybe he'd be good. But I just think that Girardi is the absolute Cinderella fit for this team and this organization. So I hope they do it. I really do. Hey, um, I did the in-memoriam video. I almost didn't. And I realized I need to do a couple things to sort of, for my own sanity, that make me feel good and make me feel like, uh, you know, sort of dust off some of the things that's going on. And I, I posted it on Sunday. I posted it just as the final games ended and we went into the All-Star break. And where there was clips of, you know, Roy Halladay, Red Shandies. Bobby Doerr, Rusty Staub, Oscar Gamble, Don Baylor, Dick Enberg, um, Darren Dalton, Jim Landis. It was there's, there's always people you wind up leaving out. That's why I very carefully phrase at the beginning, here are some of the people we lost. Because there's some people I wish I could have been able to find a way to put in. And some I wish I was able to put additional clips in. Um, and I used uh, music from the terrible movie Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves that has a magnificent soundtrack. And I did this one on, uh, I did not 
have my buddy Rafael Rivera edit this year. I did everything myself this year, but I tip my hat to Rafael because he was the one who taught me the techniques of how to do it, like add little subtle things, like how to have the pictures have a certain amount of motion to them, uh, how to you know outline the the titles so they they're legible when they're against a white background or a black background. And all these things that he taught me. He's a really smart guy, Raphael, and I hope we work together again, buddy. And it's always a sense that a chance to say goodbye and do it respectfully. Um, there, are some, there were some very hard edits in there in terms of technical things. The Dick Enberg clip uh, took forever to mix it properly. In fact, I boosted the music at the end of his clip uh, because there was a flaw that I just couldn't fix. I said, I'll mask it. And to to get the final shots of the montage, I, I like to always have the last shot of the montage be something that either will make you want to cheer or make you want to cry. And, you know, some of the shots I, I've picked in the past have made you want to cry. Like, you know, the I had the shot of Tony Gwynn's mom hugging Tony Gwynn at the end. Or the the naval shipman walking away from the number eight for Yogi Barrett for that particular uh, In Memoriam video. That was that was supposed to be... I was pulling at your heartstrings there. Then I had one where Ernie Banks raises his hand up to acknowledge the crowd, and I had a montage of, of the people who died at the end of last year's that was supposed to be heroic. And this year I was putting it together and I had it an end shot of the memorial that they did for Roy Halliday, where they had his number up at um, the Rogers Center in Toronto and his family. And man, oh man, when I put it together, there was all this heroic stuff. And then I had his grieving wife and kids. And I said, that's no, I mean, that's such a wildly inconsistent, you know, inconsistent transition that you'd get the bends moving up and down that fast. It was like stuff that happens to divers. If they move to a different level too fast, the, they, their, their blood has air bubbles in it. I couldn't do that. You know, so I wound up recutting it. It's amazing how when, whenever I've done these, especially the last bunch that I've edited on my own, that you realize that, you know, sometimes you have a great shot, a great video clip or a great photograph that you put in the In Memoriam video, and it just doesn't fit. And you're like, why doesn't it fit? This is a great shot. This is a great clip. This is a great sound bite. And it just totally screws up the rhythm, or it just doesn't fit, or there's nowhere to put it. And it breaks my heart sometimes, because there were some clips like that for this one, too. Um, and sometimes you realize when you put it together, you have all these clips and you realize there's a certain amount of monotony that hits. And there's a, I had a bunch of clips and there, and there are still a bunch of clips in the video of players hitting home runs. I, you know, Bobby Doerr hitting home run, Oscar Gamble, Don Baylor, Jim Landis, all of them hitting homers. And the clip I had of Darren Dalton was him as a Marlin hitting a home run in the world series. And I said, God, geez, can we get something other than a home run? Which is why at the last minute I switched out that clip to him throwing out uh, Otis Nixon trying to steal a base in the playoffs. And it wound up being a better clip. But it's like when you pull these clips out, you're pulling them almost out in a vacuum. And then when you assemble them, you're like, oh, this doesn't quite fit. And so 
you know, there, there are tons of creative decisions that, that happen in an in-memoriam video. And a lot of times, you know, a clip works, you know, I'm, we have like five faces in a row or, you know, we haven't had a sound bite yet. Or at one point I had three announcers, you know, Bob Wolf, Dick Enberg and um, uh, Keith Jackson were like almost one right after another. And I said, we got to break up the announcers a little bit. So it's weird, you know, to sit down and do it. But I hope you enjoy it and pass it around. I'd love to see people's thoughts because I enjoy doing it. I do it. Uh, I do it to honor the people, but also because I know the, you know you all enjoy it. Um, let's talk about the elephant in the room, shall we? It's not Stomper. Um, I have been in a situation where there's been a lot of stuff in my own life that has not been going well. Um, some of it's personal. Uh, some of it's professional. Some of it's financial. Some of it's emotional. Some of it's familial. And it all seemed to happen at the same time. You know, it was... Ray, you may enjoy this, but it was real Book of Job time. Uh, or if you're more of a cinephile, the Coen Brothers film, A Serious Man. Everything kind of happened at once. And it, it got a little overwhelming for me. And the idea of doing a podcast, I felt like I couldn't give you a good podcast because my heart and mind wasn't going to be in it. And I really did feel... On the 22nd day of June, when just one bad thing too many happened, one kick to the groin too many happened, I really honestly thought I had recorded my last Sully Baseball episode. And I was actually in the process of recording a goodbye episode. And I didn't because I was an emotional mess and I didn't want to talk to you all as an emotional mess. And so, you know, I got off Twitter. That was the last tweet I sent out for a while. And tried to take care of things in my life. And when the things in my life were still not being taken care of, I thought, well, why don't I do the In Memoriam video? Because at least I'll feel good about myself doing that. But I want to just say to Cubs fan with an eight, to Ray, to Mark Blakemore, Burnett Paisley, my good pal Kenny Mack, to the folks at the Star Trek Minute, to Laura at the Resting Pitch Face podcast, to Julie Parker and Ron Juckett, Ryan Ransberg, Nate Bean, little, you know, Battlecat52, Steve McGarrickle, Michael Mahmood, Jeff Cohen, who does a lot of great stuff, Daniel Nelligan, James Johnson, Michael Galasso, Michael Birnbach, Nick Wayne, Bob Biscaglia, you know, my, my regular listeners like the St. Louis Polk and Brandon Herzog's Bear and Tom McDonald and Robert Lawson, Bill Strope and Chad Doty and, you know, Steve Morge and, you know, and Russ Gardner, Ken Gura, Michael Bambrick, Jim Furlong, all you people who wrote to me. 
and 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 there are others too. Everyone who wrote to me saying you wanted me to do the podcast again, I just thank you because you know it's nice to know you like it. It's nice to know I could put this in the wind column. So I don't know how many I'm going to do. I don't know if I'm going to go back to doing one a week. Um, I probably should. But I wanted to say um, thanks. And also thanks for understanding that I need to take a little bit of time off. And dust myself off. And get my head straight. I don't know if my head is straight right now. um, But it at least isn't totally backwards. So... That's as maudlin as I'm going to get and as specific as I'm going to get about everything going on. So go to sullybaseball.com. Like me on Facebook. Subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. If you love the In Memoriam video, please send it around. I'd like to see if a lot of people can take a look at it. You can be old school and send me an email at info at sullybaseball.com. And do you know what? I might answer the goddamn thing. Even you, Ray. Sorry that I said goddamn again. The music, as always, is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. This has been the Sully Baseball Podcast, dropping on the 16th day of July, 2018. My first in a few weeks. And I'll do some more, because I've enjoyed being your online buddy in your earbuds. I'm your ear buddy. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. As always, call me Sullivan.